So, church, we are continuing our series this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you're really brand new with us this morning, welcome to Veritas Church. Uh, it's not every week that we hold our hands out like this and pray for like three minutes. And so, uh, I mean, sometimes we do. Uh, we as Christians, uh, as, if the, the book of 1 Corinthians can kind of have a secondary theme, if it's a church divided, now united, it's 1 Corinthians, let's get weird. Because if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, them Corinthians were weird, okay? And Paul's having to do a whole bunch of corrective teaching here. But if you're brand new to the Bible, you may be asking the question of like, okay, why should I listen to the words of this, you know, trained theologian, this missionary, this church planter? Yeah, he, Paul, can say a whole bunch of hard things and expect a lot of incredible things out of people because, I mean, this dude was a church planter and he was an apostle. And he's, he's writing to the church. And that means he's writing to us, us, us that are followers of Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves the question, like, who are we this morning? Why should we be receiving these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians? I want, us, I want us to remind us of something. We are all ministers of the gospel here. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, you're a minister of the gospel. If you're a doctor, if you're a soldier, if you're a teacher, if you're an educator of some sort, if you're a ministry leader, all, we are all ministers of the same gospel. Moms, dads, children, we are ministers of the same gospel if we are called to faith in Jesus. See, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we're called us into this kingdom of priests. This Old Testament example that when God brought together his people at Sinai and gave them the law. He says, you are now a kingdom of priests. All of you within this kingdom, all of you gathered together under the name of Jesus, we are priests going out into the world with the good news of the gospel. We are entrusted, all of us, to do the work of being lights that shine into the darkness of the world around us. Now, the reality of that is... I mean, you know yourself, you know others. We are jacked up sinners as well. And so what we do is we don't just live into one of those realities or the other. We don't say, I'm just never going to sin again. Good luck with that. And you don't just say, well, I'm just going to give in to all my patterns of sin because I, I, I'm going to sin again in the future at some point anyways. No, we live in the tension of this. Yes, we are a mess like the Corinthian church. That may be so. That does not mean that you are any less called by God to do his work. See, we have been given an, a glorious inheritance. We've been entrusted with the most important task in all of creation. We've been given the most beautiful gift in the whole universe, faith in Jesus. See, that's where we need to begin this morning. Rooting ourselves in our identity we must recall the most beautiful of truths about ourselves in Christ because it's only from that place that we can be gently reminded by Paul or sternly reminded through this passage about what must be true about us and the things that must change in us to come in line with the gospel. See, church, we've not only been saved from our sin, but we've been saved for the beautiful works that God has prepared beforehand in us. We need to remind, remind each other this morning the most, the grandest truth about us is that we are God's chosen portion. 
that God delights to call us His own, that we actually are lovely in His sight. Only then will the truths of this passage make any sense for us. See, this sermon is for followers of Jesus. If you're here and you'd say that, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm just here to check this thing out, see what this whole Jesus thing's about. Maybe you're here and you're doubting the truths of Jesus. Maybe you're like just seeking out, you're trying to figure this out. Maybe you're trying this and you're trying another religion on Thursday. You're meeting somewhere else on Monday night, trying to get at this thing. And who really is God? What I want you to see this morning is a peek behind the curtain into this corrective family conversation from Paul to the Corinthians to give you what I hope is, through the work of the Spirit, a glimmer of hope into seeing the beauty of following Jesus and being a part of his church. If you've got a Bible, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We've got 11 verses this morning. We'll read all 11 right here at the very beginning. Church, the word of God for us this morning. As the people of Veritas, God speak to us like this through his word to the Apostle Paul. Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes against brother and goes to law against brother, that, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's two main sections in this passage for us this morning. The first is the justice of the kingdom, and the second is the kingdom of the just. See, we begin with Paul going right in on these Corinthians. It's pretty bent out of shape by why he hears going on within this local church. He's absolutely baffled by he, what he has heard going on. That believer is taking other, another believer to court? People within the same church are, are, are suing each other, are taking one another to court to get what they want, to get their own vengeance? Paul can't believe this. Why? There's a number of reasons. First, it hurts the witness of the gospel. 
Now, for those of us that are, are men in the room and you're married, uh, you'll get this uh, pretty immediately. So, ladies, I apologize. If you're not married, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about quite yet. But uh, if you're a dude and you've brought your gym bag home, um, that you can be assured if that thing's been cooking in your, de- your, your car all day long, uh, when you unzip that sucker, it's going to make your wife run out of the room, right? Like, if you bring your dirty laundry before someone uh, that, who's not nose-blind to it, like you are, men, you are, you don't know how bad you smell. You smell terrible, just like me, if you're a dude in the room. You don't know. You, you don't even get it. Other people, though, know how bad you smell. You know, your wife, your kids, your friends, they're not nose-blind to your own smells. And so what Paul is getting at here is they're bringing these, these court cases to people that are outside of the church, it hurts gospel witness because it's like bringing dirty laundry that, that should be private, something dealt with in home, out in public, and, and, and asking someone who has not nose blind to these smells, and has no skin in the game with you, doesn't love you and accept you for the smelly person that you are, it's bringing it right before those people and saying, deal with the dirty laundry. See, the world can only judge things according to their own standards only their own standards for justice and equity, which almost never lines up with the values of Jesus' kingdom. Sometimes it does, but almost never. See, in Jesus' kingdom, it is better to give rather than to what? Receive. It's better to die to yourself so that others can live. In Jesus' kingdom, sin is never an option. Lying, cheating, stealing, they're all still wrong, even if they're done for the right reasons. Every time. I don't know about you, I played that game in college too about, would you steal the thing in order to save your family? It's still stealing in the eye of God. In Jesus' kingdom, reconciliation is the goal. When there's disputes, not revenge. Reconciliation, the coming back together. We aren't defined by our possessions as followers of Jesus So it's okay if we lose a few. It also, it goes against the reality that as Christians, we are what Paul says here, we'll judge the world and angels. That's why I started where we started this morning, to see the the grandeur and and just the cosmic gospel that we are called into as followers of Jesus, the ultimate reality of what it means to be called into the family of God means we, we are in Christ as saints, will judge the world. And that might be hard for some of us to believe. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, that sounds like crazy, wacko stuff. And, but it's true. And angels. Matthew 18 gets a lot of press about just church discipline, as it should, but that text is most about the authority of the church, that the keys of the kingdom have been given to Jesus' own church that exists as his body. The church judges with joy what is good and excellent, while also the church judges with sorrow what is wrong and sinful. See, also, the suing and taking others to court within the church, it makes us Christians look incompetent and unwise. Paul can't believe that there isn't one person in the church wise enough to sort these matters out. 
See, one thing about common grace, and that just means things that have been given to all people, not just followers of Jesus, good gifts from God, like the ability to enjoy things. Like, follower of Jesus, not follower of Jesus, you can both enjoy a steak. Unless you're like plant-based diet guy, I'm sorry. But if, if you're follower of Jesus, not follower of Jesus, you can enjoy similar styles of music. Not a follower of Jesus, uh, the person who is a follower of Jesus, you can enjoy uh, certain ways of doing government and ways of being a part of a system that actually promotes equity. Also, wisdom seems to be one of those things that across the board, many people can be, benefit from the same wisdom, even though they might not be a follower of Jesus. Go read Proverbs. The back half of the book of Proverbs ends with a section it's just like words from this other dude named Lemuel, who's not a follower of Jesus. He's not a God worshiper. He just walks in wisdom. So, to the outside world, bringing these cases before people that aren't followers of Jesus make the church and people within it look incompetent and unwise. It's like having stomach issues, and instead of calling your doctor, you call your plumber. Yeah, they both work with pipes, you, don't want to, you only want to trust one of them with a knife on you, right? You don't want that to be the case. See, we, we want to be a wise people that judge matters according to the standards of God. So we must know the word of God. We must walk in wisdom in order to judge with wisdom. And the last thing, it puts human authority above the authority of the church. See, the the authority of the church has been given to her by Jesus. If you think, even the, the, the great command in Matthew, the end of Matthew, that we've been all charged, the entire church, all followers of Jesus, to go make disciples and to teach all of the things that Jesus commanded, teaching them to obey Jesus. It's something that we've all got a responsibility in the whole church yes we have elders yes we have deacons yes we have partners in this church but we've all been called with the same authority to go use it rightly see this church has authority to judge matters rightly but also i want to avoid a pitfall here that the church this verse in particular has been used and i think paul would be sickened to his stomach by some of the usage of this verse if this verse is used to say that only the church should judge uh, in cases of abuse and criminal activity, that would go against the heart of what Paul is talking about here. See, Paul writes that human institutions are put in place by God in Romans 13 to judge criminal behavior. 1 Peter 2 says, Peter tells us to be subject to the governing authorities. And so what this means is the church judges spiritual matters. And the world should judge criminal matters. See, it means that matters should not be handled just in-house when those things are criminal in nature. Pastors aren't detectives. The church shouldn't be a, a whole group of lawyers and detectives and trial judges. See, what Paul says, wouldn't it be better for you to suffer wrong? Wouldn't it be better for you to be defrauded wouldn't it be better if you suffered injustice? Because you know what that does? It shows that Jesus is worth it. It shows that Jesus really is your treasure in life and in death, like we confess in baptism. What's your only hope in life and death? 
Is it personal vengeance like Batman? No. Our only hope in life and death is Christ and Him crucified in our place for our sins because we know we're jacked up sinners. We know we're going to get it wrong. And that's the only place where we can come to one another in a place where we're willing to say, man, I might be wrong here. I'd rather be defrauded than drag the name of Jesus through the mud. I'd rather be wronged myself rather than put the name of Jesus through the ringer. So we've had agencies and we've had people and all kinds of folks use these verses out of context to justify horrible abuses. But like the, the old hymn, uh, A Firm Foundation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He writes these words, Let good and kindreds go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. See, church, when you are a follower of Jesus, you can and should endure wrongs and loss. The answer is, though, why? The answer, God's glory. Church, you are a representative of Jesus, one of God's ambassadors on earth. And your stuff doesn't own to you. We say this every single week when we give, right? Our stuff is not our own. It doesn't define us. We're just stewards of it. So if we're wrong and we lose some of our stuff, big whoop, we inherit the earth, y'all. Have you heard this from Jesus? You ever read the Gospel of Matthew or Luke? He said, blessed are the meek because they're going to inherit the earth. We've got that waiting for us. What's a couple of bucks, man? What's a couple of things? You have saints in the New Testament that celebrated the plundering of their own possessions because they got to suffer for the sake of Christ. When was the last time you celebrated in your suffering? Oftentimes, I don't. I don't do it well, but we can. We can. Another th- reason why we should endure wrongs is it frustrates the schemes of the enemy. I was on a plane on the way back from a conference this week, and I was sitting beside it. In God's providence, every person in my row was actually headed here to Fayetteville. <laughs> We're all getting off a plane and RDU and driving down here to Fayetteville. I mean, what are the odds, y'all, right? I was sitting next to a, a guy who's been uh, grafted into the 82nd as part of the exchange program with the Brit- British military. And we ended up having, you know, an hour and a half conversation uh, about the, the writings of C.S. Lewis, the grandeur of the stories that he was able to craft, but then also these, this book called The Screwtape Letters. In The Screwtape Letters, uh, it is one older demon writing to a younger demon about how to frustrate the plans of God that's evident in the life of this person who's now come to faith as a follower of Jesus. And so Wormwood would write these letters to his younger nephew saying, hey, make sure you, you encourage him at all times, give him opportunities to be as selfish as possible. Make sure that when this guy gets wronged, he seeks vengeance, not forgiveness. Through the book, C.S. Lewis shows us through this kind of antonym of an example that's pretty funny. You should read it. It's great. I love it. But ways in which the enemy wants to frustrate the plans of God in us. The enemy wants us tempted to defraud one another when we feel wronged. To, 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 To take one another to court. To sue one another. To blast each other on Facebook and Instagram. To, to take the petty squabbles into the court of public opinion so that we can get what we think we're owed. No, 
No, church, you can. By the strength of God, you have the capacity to right wrongs. Because, see, when we have the good news of the gospel, we don't have to right wrongs ourselves. We don't have to be the vengeance taker like Batman in the shadows trying to get things done, get our own way, seek justice on our own terms. No, we were not forgiven with a cheap forgiveness by Jesus. The grace that we've been shown to us by God was not one of schemes. God wasn't sneaking around in order to save us. He went out to public. Jesus endured the wrath of the cross for us. He was mocked. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was made to endure all of our shame so that we wouldn't have to, so we wouldn't have to seek vengeance for our own. We can endure hardship and loss and pain and injustice if we know that the goal is worth it, if we know that the gospel is worth it, if we know that God himself is worth it. See, the justice of God's kingdom comes at the highest imaginable cost. Hear Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned. How many of us? All of us. Fallen short. The glory of God. Praise God for verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show that God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Catch this, church. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the reason we don't have to wrong when wronged, the reason we can endure, the reason we don't have to get what we think we're owed is because God has ensured that justice has been done. He has ensured it, whether by this life or on the cross or in the judgment that is to come, justice will be done by our God. You can take it to the bank. And that's why Paul shifts his kingdom from the uh, this focus from the, the, the justice of the kingdom to the kingdom of the justified. Look again with me at verse 9, if you will. Verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. This is Paul saying, you can have hope. Don't be deceived. Focus on the truth. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This means the unjust, the wrongdoer, they can't do anything about your inheritance, follower of Jesus. There's nothing the schemes of the enemy can do to ruin your inheritance that is in Christ. You will inherit the kingdom of God if you are a follower of Jesus. But you may be thinking to yourself, oh no, that list, I see some echoes of my own sin in there. Like, what does that mean for me? Am I one of these? No. Follower of Jesus in this room. Notice that all of these wrongdoers, the words are active. Ongoing descriptions of actions that are 
definitive of one's identity. This is something you just thought about once. This was your identity. And this is exactly what Paul gets to next. It was, past tense, it was their identity. And every single one of us in this room, this was our identity. Look what Paul says in verse 11. And such were some of you. And then he gives us this great, grand hope. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that good news, church? Is it not good news? This used to be our identity. This is the great exchange of the gospel. You and I, like these converted Christians, were once defined by our sin, our shame, and our guilt as idolaters, as adulterers, as greedy, but now God has washed us. Church, you have been sanctified. You have been washed. You have been justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of your God. And I love how Trinitarian this is. You don't even have to go find it. This isn't even a Bible study of like, let's find the Trinity here. It's just right there out in the open for us. In the name of Jesus, the purifying agent of our sanctification, by the Spirit, He's the one doing the work in us and of our God, all according to the will and plan of God. This is the plan of God for you from the beginning of time, church. That you would be brought in, that you would be made to look more and more like Jesus. So, I want to end with three application points for us. What do we do with a text like this? First, Be slow to take action when you are wronged. Sometimes, many times, you'd be like me. My my knee-jerk reaction when I'm wronged is to immediately react in some way, to react to another person, to try to get what I think is mine in order to to make the other person feel like they're stupid or there's no way that that could be true about me. I try to spin things in a direction that benefits me. But what God is inviting to in this, and what Paul's inviting us into in this, it's better to be wronged. It's, it's better to be slandered, even, than to slander the name of Jesus. Be slow. It'll save you and the other person many heartaches. And when you do take action or verbalize that you felt wrong, it will actually feel like a big deal. You won't be the, the boy who cried wolf constantly saying all the time, oh, I feel, feel, I feel like this. No, it'll actually carry weight. Second, super practical. Don't sue each other. <laughs> just don't do it. I mean, that's what Paul said. It's like the, the title of it here. Just don't sue each other. Next point. No, I'm kidding. I, just, we need to understand how to do conflict well, okay? See, the reason why they were suing each other is they couldn't resolve matters in a healthy way. So you need to know yourself. You need to know how people perceive you. You need to understand how to do conflict rather than with a hammer or within like a dirt pit out back where you just kind of wrestle it out. You can't do conflict like that every time, right? And you can't just avoid conflict all the time and then blow up on somebody out of the blue for the tiniest of little things. We need to understand ourselves and ask the Spirit of God who is at work within us to actually change us Whatever your proclivities are, I guarantee you, if you acknowledge these things before God 
and ask for his help, you will grow in them. And bring one, another's, uh, one another in on this thing. Like, don't take little issues that you have with each other to Facebook. I mean, all together. Maybe just, like, don't argue on social media ever as a general rule. That'd be a really good thing. I think we'd avoid a lot of stuff. Maybe just the, all of us will commit to delete all of our social media accounts after this. No, I'm not suggesting that, but a, a boy can dream, you know. If in a situation between believers gets heated, involve godly, wise counsel to help resolve matters. This is why it's so important to be a part of a healthy community group, where you can bring somebody else into a conversation, where you have people within this church that you actually trust, like you need it. Like, it won't be long before you, you get into conflict with somebody, and you'll just leave on bad terms because you didn't really have good relationships with the people in the church anyways. There won't be no, no weight, no value. See, it's not fun when it comes up, but it will. It's unavoidable. And don't sue one another. <laughs> Last point. Remind yourself and others of your identity often. See, what one of my primary responsibilities as a pastor, in particular the preaching of the gospel, is to model for you a way for you to gospel yourself and gospel others. See, it is not just my responsibility or the other elders' responsibility to be the communicators of the gospel within this church. We all bear a responsibility to speak the gospel truth to ourselves. I don't care if you're going to be the crazy person like preaching at yourself in the mirror in the morning. Like, do it. Remind yourselves the truths of the gospel. The easiest way you can do it is just open up your Bible. Just open it up. Read about your identity in Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe just throw the Bible reading plan out the window for a second. Say, I'm going to spend a month just reading Ephesians 1 about my identity in Christ. I just got to shovel that thing into my brain. I got to remind myself of who I am. I am bought. I am chosen. I am beloved. I've been given an inheritance in God that no one can take away. I've got the first fruits of what's to come because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. Maybe you need that. You need other people to remind you of the truths of the gospel as well. Again, I sound like a broken record, but this is why you need to be a part of a community group. You're not going to make it follower of Jesus as a lone ranger. Lone rangers are dead rangers. Ask anybody in the military out here. Like all those stupid video game stuff, all those dudes would be dead immediately, right? Halo, like all the Call of Duty stuff, nope, you're all dead. You need a team. You need people around you. Remind you, keep you on mission, remind you the truths that you might not be able to see about yourself right now. You need brothers and sisters reminding you, you are the beloved of God. You have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel. You, without doing anything to earn it, man, you are so valuable in the eyes of our Savior. See, church, this is what I hope we have been given this morning. If we believe this hope, if we give it to one another, often we can endure any hardship, we can endure any loss, any pain, and any injustice if we know that the goal is worth it and our goal is Christ. Let me pray that that would be so. Lord Jesus, thank you for the beauty of this gospel and thank you for a passage on not suing one another to show it to us. God, only those um, 
who believe that you, Jesus, have died for sin and also resurrected from the dead would actually be crazy enough to believe these incredible truths about the gospel, about what is true about us, even though we are woeful sinners in need of a great Savior. God, I pray that for people here in this room that uh, feel far from you or lacking hope, lacking faith, God, God, that they wouldn't focus on that, their lack this morning, but they would focus on what they have already been gifted and the, <laughs> the wonderful opportunity to participate in what m- might be the most imaginable but magnificent good news in the, all of the world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Love you, church.